Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live here from our Bluebell Studios. Bob Long, Kevin McClernand is live in Baltimore alongside. No Kevin Long here tonight. We will hear from him later on in the show, but excited to be alongside everybody for what is another great week of Villanova basketball, a team that is still unbeaten in Big East play. Kind of amazing when you think about how things started for this team. Obviously, the losses to Furman, Michigan was embarrassing, and now the Cats starting to identify their ways. We're going to talk about the ways that they've changed the way, uh, the, the ways that they've changed playing, frankly. Their offensive scheme has tremendously adjusted. I think it's been a lot of the right moves being switched. And then we've seen some players that weren't really part of that big three earlier in the year as guys that are key contributors right now. As I mentioned, Kevin McClernand is with us in Baltimore. Kevin, welcome. And what are your thoughts on the Cats as they win two more games last week at DePaul and then at home against Georgetown and await possibly their biggest week of the season thus far? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been on in a while, and they've won 10 straight games, so maybe I should jump off right now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way. At, what are they, 9-0 in conference right now? So, I mean, couldn't ask for any more than that, uh, especially, like you said, after the start, ugly start to the season. Well, it was an ugly start to the season, but what you see right now is a team that's finding different ways to win. A game in which Phil Booth, your most proficient player over the last month and a half and really over the whole season has been the guy that you count on in big moments, he struggled. He struggled early in that game, finished 5-for-15, 2-for-8 from beyond the three-point line, but it wasn't until late in that game that you got a really big three-point shot from Phil Booth, put Villanova up five points from what was 55-53 to 58-55, coerced a timeout out of Patrick Ewing and the Hoyas, and from there, Villanova didn't look back. It was tied at 53 just slightly earlier in the game, and it was one of those games where you got the sense that one team needed to come out and start executing down the stretch. It was Villanova that did that. It was one of those uncertain questions, though, as I mentioned. And, Kevin, my, my thought for you, question for you, is this is a team that's kind of changed its mantra, has figured out how to win games late. You think back to Furman, and I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Providence game very early on in Big East play. Now we're nine games in. The way this team finishes games feels different to me now than it was earlier in the season. Yeah, I mean, like you said, especially uh, Georgetown, uh, they did they were able to close it out. Uh, I mean, they were able to close out Providence uh, earlier in the year, but, I mean, they did it in the most ugly way possible. Um, and they just need – I know Phil Booth goes into hero mode sometimes, and he's been cutting that down lately. Um and, I mean, he makes some of those shots, but and they're, they're not always going to go in. And in games like Providence, uh, the teams are going to catch up if you keep taking bad shots. Well, we talked a lot about it a few shows ago, Kevin. The fact that Phil Booth, the way Jay has engineered this offense, I think to you, to me, to a man, Jay would say this isn't his most efficient basketball team that he's ever had. But that was never going to be the case with the guys that you lost. Really, in theory, every one of those guys could have come back for another year. But those four guys have gone to the NBA, and now it's a different basketball team. Phil Booth, I think, is the most efficient option for this team. You call it hero ball. I don't necessarily disagree. But what the decision, I think, told us when they made the decision to take Colin Gillespie off the basketball, really let Phil Booth run the point, and let Colin Gillespie filter into a spot-up shooter-type role, 
with the ability to also get guys into the air and draw fouls or get to the basket via drive. But again, starting in possession off the ball and the offense not running through him, I think told Phil Booth that we need you to be the guy and we need you as Phil Booth, the leader of this basketball team, to be the one taking the shots late in the shot clock and the guy that even if it is a uh, not a high percentage look, he needs to take more shots than anybody else on the team because Sadiq Bey is not creating his own shot. Demir Cosby Roundtree is not creating his own shot. And Jermaine Samuels is not creating his own shot, which we're going to talk about shortly here as well. So the hero ball comment I get, but I also think it was a discussion with Jay, Phil, and the other coaches to say, sometimes that's going to be what Villanova needs. And Phil Booth taking 15 field goal attempts on average per game the last two months is exactly the type of basketball that I think they want to play. Yeah, and I mean, we mentioned earlier in the year how this team, it's going to take a while for them to figure out what kind of team they are. We saw Jay test a lot of things out. Uh, Pascal and the other bigs bringing the ball up um, in probably like a three or four game span. Booth and Gillespie both playing off the ball. Um, so he really tested things out and it seems like obviously – uh, he found the best way for this team to be efficient. You know, we talked about this, specifically Colin Gillespie, really early. The first game that this occurred was St. John's, and Phil Booth took a lot of really difficult shots and made a lot of difficult shots, and then that kind of continued, and he filtered more into that role. Not to say we were on it, but we were on it really early, and now the flavor of the day is the recognition by the folks that are watching Villanova, covering Villanova, that this is what's happening. But, Kevin, we, I mean, we were on it early, and I, I do think that it's something that's going to continue over the course of the year. The other thing we're going to talk about, especially in the V's and O's here today, is that when they play at the Wells Fargo Center, and you see this across the country, people might think it's a misnomer. People might think it's uh, in your mind. Some people might think that there's really something to this. I'm of the belief that there is something to this. Colin Gillespie has NBA range, which is tremendous. Joe Cremo might not or might not be confident enough at this point. When they play at the Wells Fargo Center and they space the floor the way they do, even though you know that the college three-point line is inside the NBA three-point line, it's just natural. You've been playing along the furthest line your entire career, and it's just natural that Villanova spaces the offense even more when they play at the Wells Fargo Center with the Sixers' NBA three-point line standing there. And Colin Gillespie takes more NBA range three-point shots at the Wells Fargo Center than he does at uh, Villanova. Two ways to think about it. Bigger driving lanes, the floor is more space. But the other thing is, the further away from the college line you get, the lower percentage your three-point look is. Uh, fortunately for Gillespie, he's been dynamite from very, very deep. Yeah, and it's interesting because you would assume that there would be some adjustment. Just, I mean, like you said, psychologically, you know that's the last line, but, I mean, still a good amount of distance. Um, and he's obviously adding enough and perfectly enough uh, onto those three-pointers. Um when playing at the Wells Fargo that they're going in. And, I mean, it's really impressive uh, that he's shooting so, uh, so highly uh, that far away. This is the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on BLS with Bob Long, Kevin McClernand via Skype in Baltimore. We're going to have Kevin Long on with us in about a half an hour. He's going to give his thoughts on what he saw last weekend against Georgetown 
and uh, and preview the next week's game against Marquette. That's something we're going to get to in just a few minutes. Villanova versus Marquette. The Cats number 14, the Golden Eagles number 10, and really Woj doing a great job uh, up there in Milwaukee. We'll talk a lot in depth about the Golden Eagles, and that'll be a big portion of the whiteboard discussion tonight as well, how Marquette is going to pick and roll and high screen Villanova to death and how Villanova is going to need to adjust defensively, so stay tuned with us for that. But first, we talked about Gillespie. We talked about Phil Booth, those roles are very well documented in the way they've changed in the last month. The guy that I think is now starting to catch the eye of a lot of Villanova basketball fans and people that follow college basketball is the changing role of Jermaine Samuels, and not in the affirmative. Now, Jermaine Samuels had 16 rebounds, his career high, his game high, season high, obviously, and he was an absolute monster on the boards. It actually gives some credence perhaps to, or at least another anecdote, onto what Derek Gerberich said when he was on with us two weeks ago from Stathouse Analytics when he said, listen, the five guys that rebound the basketball the best, that lineup has Jermaine Samuels in it. So does the second iteration of that starting of that best five. So does the third. It's only the fourth when Demir Cosby Roundtree gets into that five-man efficiency Lineup from a and from a rebounding perspective didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. Jermaine Samuels is a guy who collects about as many rebounds per minute as Cosby Roundtree does over that portion of the season, and Cosby Roundtree gets more rebounds per game because he plays more minutes than Samuels. So where's that come from? Oh, by the way, I think Cosby Roundtree happens to be the best rebounder on the team. Well, Jermaine Samuel stepped up on Sunday and had the rebounding game of his career. He's been absolutely fantastic on the glass recently, and good for him. I mean, he's finding ways to contribute when he's not scoring. And why is he not scoring? I don't know. But for me, to speculate here, which you're not really supposed to do, but because I haven't heard anybody on Villanova's press row ask the question, Jay, why is Jermaine Samuels not catching to shoot the ball anymore? He did it a lot earlier in the season, sometimes ill-advised shots. But why is he not catching the ball to shoot? He's not even looking up at the rim, which goes against what Villanova teaches. Shoot him up, sleep in the streets, catch to shoot. Jermaine is just immediately bounce-passing the ball somewhere else. So the two theories I have. One, a simple red light. You see it at every level of basketball. A big man gets 15, 20 feet away. You cannot shoot this baseline long two. Or on a high ball screen, if you pick and pop at the at the top of the key, you cannot shoot this shot. Is that what's going on with Jermaine Samuels? I'm not sure I understand why. The other thing is, is there an injury of some kind? Shoulder. Some other issue that we don't know about that Jermaine is not able to shoot outside shots. In fact, before we go back to Kevin here, let's take a look at what we've seen recently from Jermaine Samuels. These are his stats in the last six basketball games. Against Creighton, 4 for 7, 0 for 1 from beyond the arc. Xavier, 3 for 4, 1 for 1. Prior to that, he was averaging 2 to 2.5 threes per game. So then you look at Butler, Seton Hall, DePaul, and Georgetown. He's taking a combined... A combined five shots 
in those four basketball games. And the one against Seton Hall was a layup where he was pretty much underneath the hoop and there was nothing to do but go up. He's also had passes in the lane where he could have gone right up and passes it back outside. Jermaine Samuels, it's more of an eye test thing even than a statistics thing, but these also show you. His season statistics and average field goals per game, average three-point shots per game in the last four games at Butler on January 22nd to start has been woefully down, and the eye test tells you even more. Let's go to Kevin on this one. Have you noticed anything with Jermaine Samuels in terms of his changed role and, frankly, whether it's a fear or an understanding that he's not supposed to shoot? There's been a significant difference that I've seen. So obviously, I mean, I have noticed the lower amount of shots that he's been taking. And I wouldn't go all the way to saying he has the red light. Maybe just Jay telling him, be smarter with him. Um, and maybe Jay pulling them if pulling him out of the game if he thinks he takes some bad shots. Um, but, you know, like you said, 13 points at Creighton in the next six games, I believe, 18 total points. So, I mean, we'll see this week uh, whether they try to use, utilize him against Creighton since he was successful uh, in, their, in the first matchup with 13 points. So are you telling me that if you, and I, I'm definitely taking words out of context, but uh, if you don't think there's a red light and you don't think there's an injury, do you think that my ask of folks in the Villanova media that are either meeting with Jay after these basketball games or once per week, uh, that these folks shouldn't have either the foresight or, or feel the need to ask Jay if something has changed with Jermaine Samuels? And I'll say this. If I miss something that somebody asked that question, I apologize. But I haven't seen anything out there about it. No, I definitely agree with you. I mean, it's definitely noticeable. I mean, you don't even have to watch the games to notice. Just look at the box score and see uh, the numbers all the way down uh, in field goal attempts. So uh, somebody, and like you said, maybe we missed it, but somebody should have definitely uh, asked Jay the question by now. Bob Long, Kevin McClernand here on the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live every Monday night. We're going from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. We discuss what has been the big topic in Villanova basketball. We preview what comes next. We do our whiteboard discussion, which is a great part of every show. And then, of course, we have some trivia for the fans at the tail end as well as some pick em. So, Kevin, anything else that you wanted to chat about from this past week? A win against DePaul, a win against Georgetown, big win against the rival, uh, Patrick Ewing brings the squad to town. Max McClung, pretty solid in his performance, but I would call him streaky in that loss to Villanova. Made some dazzling shots. Great use of the English off the glass and a really good finisher. But this Georgetown program, what, second year under? Or is this still just, this is the second year under Ewing, is it not? Uh, yeah, just a second. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, where do you see this program going? Where do they fit into the Big East? In the Big East in general. I mean, they have a 9 and 0 Villanova team, an 8 and 1 Marquette team, and then the next best team is 4 and 5. Looks like a two bid league to me. Obviously, those two teams are in the top 15 in the country and have a marquee matchup, but where is Georgetown? Where is the Big East? I think Georgetown is definitely on the way up. I mean, bringing in a guy like Ewing, uh, knowing the player and his coaching experience so far. I mean, he's spent a lot of years as an assistant coach in the NBA. Um, so I think he's definitely going to bring this uh, program back, maybe not all the way to what it was in the 80s, but uh, back to what we, we're used to seeing them. Um, and, I mean, as you said, a two-bid team, Big East, that's definitely down. 
uh, maybe another team uh, could win the Big East tournament or get hot late, but um, only getting two teams in is, is really low for this, this conference. It's tough because everybody's beating each other up, and there might have been a team that a lot of people could have seen making that jump this year. St. John's undefeated through, what, all but their last game of the non-conference play. And now they're 4-5, and five, I believe, as well in the Big East. So the problem there is unless they're going to go beat Marquette or beat Villanova, where are the opportunities for the resume-building wins for the Red Storm, for Creighton, for Xavier, all those Xaviers in the last place in the conference right now? I mean, we take a look at the standings up here on the big screen right now, Xavier at 3-7. and seven. St. John's, as I mentioned, 4-5. and five. They were 12-1 and one in the non-league, and, and there they are. I mean, you have eight basketball teams that are under 500, St. John's 4-5. and five. Georgetown now four and five. Creighton four and five. They come to Villanova on Wednesday. We can talk a little bit about about, uh, about that game. Seton Hall four and six, and they came out and just rolled over against Villanova. DePaul at four and six. Butler at four and six. Providence three and six. So, Kevin, back to you here. I mean, the league itself, Villanova, Marquette. I, I don't see a way, unfortunately, with some of those overall records to go along with under five hundred Big East records that unless a team rips off their next seven of eight, eight of nine Big East basketball games, that, that anybody has a shot to get in? I think Saint, the team that I would bet on if I had to bet one would be St. John's. Obviously, you mentioned uh, a hot start for them and all the talent they have. So, I mean, Pons is a player that if he gets hot, um, that, that team can roll. And, uh, I mean, maybe – uh, like you said, get a quality win in the Big, big East tournament against one or both of those teams. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The really built-in struggle with St. John's is that they scheduled a non-league schedule that made Georgetown's non-league last year look like uh, a clash of titans, I, I tell you what. I mean, it was a brutal non-league schedule, so there's nothing even remotely close to a quality win within that non-league schedule for St. John's. So great that you won 12 games, but you had to prove it in the Big East. Not doing that, at least not yet. But you're right. They're a team that could rip off six or seven, and now that discussion changes. Uh, before we move on to discuss Marquette, as well as the upcoming game against Creighton, any thoughts on where we, where we are at this point, where the Cats are, thoughts on last week, thoughts on the formula, how the team plays? Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with uh, undefeated uh, conference uh, record right now, a 10 in a row total. Um, I mean, they're looking at a, a decent seed if they can finish this off, uh, this season off as they should. Um, I'm going to guess they don't finish the season off undefeated in conference, but uh, one or two losses, and that's a, that's a great uh, conference league right there. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they lose just two more games the rest of the way, if that's what we're going with, sure. They're a three seed, maybe a two seed at that point. I mean, they're 14 now. So that would mean that you're going seven and two, let's just say the rest of the regular season, maybe win the Big East tournament. You end the season with just those six losses, four of which came in non-league play. And I do think that you're looking at a strong three, back-end two seed for Villanova, which would be a, a, certainly a wonderful um, resurgence from where they came. Two foes standing in the way this week. Creighton at home, really good team. 
Crumple was very difficult for Villanova to handle when they went out to Omaha, Nebraska. Kyrie Thomas, very solid player as well. Pretty good basketball team. Loves to light it up. Defense has struggled this year, Kevin. This is going to be a great matchup in the pavilion. And Creighton's a team that with those soft rims that we know they have at the Finn from the old school pavilion as well, uh, good shooting lines. It could be a slugfest in the pavilion, but what I see as a little bit of a more likely outcome is a shootout. And I think it's going to be Ken Collin Gillespie continue the hot shooting that he's exuded the last two weekends at the Wells Fargo Center. Can Phil Booth create his own shot? I think they're going to uh, create some interesting man-to-man matchups on the Creighton side to try to slow up Phil Booth because Booth was absolutely amazing at Creighton last time they played. Uh, Pascal is clearly a matchup problem, but Crumple on the other end. Who's going to guard Crumple? You don't want to put Pascal on him. One, because he does outsize Pascal by so much, and two, because Eric Pascal, you need to give him a buffer for one or two offensive fouls in a given game because of the aggressive style by which he plays. So whether that's Sadiq Bey again or whether Demir Cosby Roundtree, who wasn't trusted at the time to go guard Crumple when they were out in Omaha. I think he was in a, a bit of the doghouse. Uh, will that change it all? And will Cosby Roundtree be a defensive difference maker on Wednesday night? And uh, I mean, we've talked about it all year. The lack of depth and the, the trouble, the foul trouble that those big guys have gotten in. Uh, I think Cosby Roundtree ended up fouling out of the game uh, yesterday. So, right. I mean, these guys have to be careful. Uh, Pascal has to be able to stay in the game. They're going to need him in the game uh, for as long as he can play. Uh, so stay out of foul trouble. Um, and, uh, I mean, McDermott's a very good coach. I, I've always liked him. So I think he's going to come up with a plan, uh, like you said, to try to slow down Booth, and we'll see how he can handle that. Yeah, Kevin, I mentioned as well when we had the Big East standings up, there they are again. Creighton at 4-5, and 13-9 and nine in the uh, for their overall record. This is a team that I don't know is going to be able to go to the NCAA tournament. But remember, this is a team that also scheduled itself out of the league in a very difficult fashion. They played Gonzaga, and they have had some games over the course of the non-league. Not enough of them came up in Ws, but that did challenge a team. This is another team that I think is capable of ripping off five, six games in a row. In fact... I would argue that this is the third or fourth most talented team in the Big East. So you're going to play, let's just call them the third most talented team in the Big East on Wednesday, and then hold your applause till the end here. I think you're going to play the most talented team in the Big East, bar none, on Saturday at Marquette. So it is a challenging week. want to get your thoughts on Creighton first, but then whether you agree that Marquette is the most talented team in the Big East, and then we can talk a little bit about that matchup. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably have Creighton at the fourth uh, most talented, but you're still, I mean, they're still right up there. Um, it's, I mean, they're, they're coming a long way. you got to remember it's a, a long travel for them to come all the way from Nebraska. So um, I, I think it's going to be a close one. Like you said, probably uh, going to be a barn burner. Uh, but I think Nova does come out with it. Uh, going to need a lot of the bench is going to help have to help. Kramo is going to have to hit some shots. I, I think Cosby Roundtree had six points yesterday, and that was their only bench points. Uh, so those guys are going to have to step up um, and, I mean, make some defensive stops at the end of the game uh, if they're going to want to win. 
Bob Long, Kevin McClernand here on the Villanova Basketball Report, previewing now the Marquette basketball game. And honestly, I I think what you were getting at was a good take um, about Creighton being the fourth most talented team and whether Marquette is number one or not, maybe comes down to whether St. John's or Villanova are the number two most talented team. But again, doesn't really matter, doesn't affect the standings, and doesn't affect whether you win or lose a basketball game as much as some of the other factors. But Johnny's as talented as anybody in the Big East as well. That's a good take. Marquette, though, coming up on Saturday. First of two games between these two programs. Remember the Big East... 10 programs, 9 opponents, 18 Big East games, a true round-robin home-and-away format. This game at the Fiserv Forum, the old BMO Harris Bradley Center, is going to be a lot of fun. Marquette, Kevin, 14-0 at the Bradley Center, Fiserv Forum. And there's one other thing that I think you would appreciate, and that's that they took a little bit of a page out of the book of the Philadelphia 76ers. That's right. Let me make sure I get this right. It's the Shake Shack free throw freeze. Boy, that might sound familiar to some Philadelphia Sixers fans. The Shake Shack free throw freeze. If an opponent misses a free throw in the second half, you get the thunderclappers out. You make some noise because if that player misses or anybody on the opposing team misses two consecutive free throws, it's free Shake Shack for everybody in the building. Now, I'll say this, Kev, imitation is the highest form of flattery, and I think the folks at the Philadelphia 76ers organization might have a copyright claim. Yeah, I mean, that, it really gets the crowd going, so uh, especially when, I mean, when you hear, when you see that first free throw missed, uh, everybody gets in, everybody in the arena gets into it, so uh, it, it'll be tough uh, making those free, free throws <laughs> down the stretch. You know, I like how you're kind of the straight man here, and uh, <laughs> and I'm making some joke about the free throw freeze and, and then you go in and actually break down uh, how that affects the team. So I can appreciate that, but uh, unacceptable, unacceptable <laughs> to steal the Wendy's completely unacceptable. Although Shake Shack is superior to Wendy's come at me. Uh, I'm good. I'll stay over here. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they do that down there in Baltimore, but uh, there's no basketball team. Down, no, um, no NBA team, at least. Well, fair enough. Is there Shake Shack? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Well, you got to find that out. Big yeah. wins at home for Marquette. They took down University of Buffalo, who, unfortunately, tough loss to Bowling Green recently. So they are in free fall. But at the time, Buffalo, I believe, was number 14 in the country. It was a big win for Marquette, who was in the 20s at the time. Convincing. You know, but, uh, Buffalo certainly hung, but what was convincing to me is that this Marquette team is very solid and that Buffalo is very solid. Wisconsin, kind of a uh, reinvigoration of that program. At the time, they weren't playing quite as well, but Marquette able to beat Wisconsin, a very solid team. As I mentioned, 14-0 and at home. This is a fan base that's really gotten behind this program, and they don't have a lot else at this time of the year. Packers are done. Of course, the Bucks are playing some pretty good basketball as well, but Marquette has been, in many ways, a real uh, beacon of that community for a long time. People love the Golden Eagles, and I believe that 
kind of like when you go up to Providence, Rhode Island, this is going to be a really tough place for Villanova to play on Saturday, not to mention that you have a team full of positionless type guys. Everybody can shoot the three except for, you know, except for some of the bigs, but uh, three or four guys on the floor at any time that can shoot the three, they're going to run a, high, a ton of high ball screen, and I think it's going to be a big challenge. Also facing, amongst all that said, the best player in the Big East in Marcus Howard. Yeah, I think Sadiq Bey is going to be uh, the key in this game for them um, in order to stay in it. Like you said, I think Marquette's more talented than Villanova. And, uh, I mean, p- picking uh, picking up those screens and uh, moving uh, along with defensively is going to be key for the team. I'm not sure who's going to guard Theo John. Theo John at six foot nine. A guy, he's not going to pick and pop you. He actually hasn't taken a three-point shot all year long. But what he can do is lay a big screen and let Marcus Howard come off that screen. What is Villanova going to do? Are they going to be quick to switch? If that's the case, I think that you sit Demir Cosby Roundtree down on the bench for the vast majority of that game. Are you going to ask Villanova to try to hedge and recover? In which case, Cosby Roundtree is your guy to do that and then you allow Phil Booth or Colin Gillespie or whomever will be guarding uh, Marcus Howard to try to recover and then backside help as Theo John cuts to the hole. But Villanova has had trouble, Kevin, we've talked about this for years, trouble guarding the high ball screen for as long as we can remember. And this goes back to them winning national championships. But when you have the, the, the defensive setup that Villanova has – where they go almost exclusively man-to-man defense, which has changed slightly this year compared to past years. Uh, and you have bigs that, you know, to this point, hey, Ochefu was a great player, Cosby Roundtree a great player. Uh, they weren't guys that were used to defending on the perimeter. Spellman, to some extent, was, but he got lost when it comes to communication and switching. So the bigs that they've had uh, have not really been able to guard the high ball screen as well as I think Jay would have liked. So this, take advantage of, you know, talk about how great this Marquette team is and a style of offense that Villanova has struggled with defensively. That's why I think Saturday's a big struggle. And Marquette, like you said, all those five guys can switch, play any position. And, I mean, they're, they're a perfect example of what basketball is becoming right now. And, I mean, Roundtree is going to struggle. If they're going to switch, they really can't switch, like you said. Um the, the, unless I, I think unless he sits down, unless he plays, you know, ten to, to twelve minutes max, because then maybe you ask Samuels to to you know body up against John inside, try to have another great rebounding game like he had against Georgetown, but then ask him to be the one to switch off, and then maybe ask a Phil Booth, you know, to bot to front. Theo John and have help over the top. Villanova's run that type of offense for a long time. They've had to back to the four guard sets. But I think you're exactly right is that uh, if Demir Cosby Roundtree is playing any significant minutes, you're going to have to hedge and recover in that man to man set. Well, even if he doesn't, if he's, if he's trying to switch, I think he's going to get in foul trouble and not be able to play the minutes anyway. So uh, I expect him not like, like you said, maybe 10, 15 minutes at the most. Um, if Villanova wants to stay in the game. Yeah, tremendous point there. Absolutely. For Marquette, led by Marcus Howard, 15 points per game. Sam Hauser, about 16. Joey Hauser, about 11. Sakara Neem, he's a really good player. He hasn't hit a ton of threes this year, but all four of those guys on the floor, as soon as Howard comes around that high ball screen, he can either dive to the 10, 
find somebody on the outside, or he can dribble his way around the perimeter to maybe the right wing on a high ball screen at the top of the key, draw that second defender, and the athleticism of Anim can back cut to the hoop and finish that way on a dish from Marcus Howard. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes on the whiteboard, but that's really the key for Marquette. And oh, by the way, when all that breaks down, there might be no better guy at the end of the shot clock than Marcus Howard, a guy to take a shot from an off-balance position with two or three guys on him and finish over the top. He's so good. There are a lot of guys in the league that can do it, Phil Booth, Shamori Pons, but Howard, to this point in the season, has been the best. Going to be a real struggle for the Villanova Wildcats. Kev, before we, we take a break, any thoughts that you had, anything we didn't hit here in the first 30-plus minutes? No, I, th- I think you uh, hit the nail on the head when you said that this is going to be a key week for them. I mean, Crane's a tough team. They're coming in at home. That, that needs to be a must-win for them. Uh, and then they're really going to be tested going uh, to the best team in the conference uh, on the road. This is the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin McClernand, and we are now going to take a break. We'll come back very shortly, so hang with us. We're going to do our V's and O's segment, talk a little bit more about Villanova and how they need to defend Marquette. We'll put it on the whiteboard, break that all down for you, maybe tell you a little bit more about Jermaine Samuels as well. Hang with us, and we'll be back here on BLS. Welcome back inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long here for the V's and O's where we take you to the whiteboard and we discuss something either upcoming in Villanova basketball or something that we think is going to be really important to keep in mind as the season goes forward. I'll tell you what it is tonight. It's the big matchup against Marquette. Number 14 against number 10 as the Cats go to five serve form and what should be their toughest matchup in Big East play of the year. What's so tough about the Marquette Golden Eagles? Real simple. His name is Marcus Howard, and he's averaging 25 points per game. He can score from absolutely anywhere, and he runs the show. Think Phil Booth for Villanova. Same type of guy, a little bit more efficient, probably can hit a little bit more of a difficult shot on any given moment, and he has been doing this for so long as their guy for the last two, three years. He's an absolute stud. They run a ton of high ball screens. And it's something that we've talked about over the course of the last few years with Villanova. They've struggled defensively. And the reason is because of the big guys that Villanova's had. Two years, three years ago, I guess, it was Daniel Ochefu, right? Last year, it was Omari Spellman. And now it's Demir Cosby Roundtree. These two guys right here aren't fleet enough of foot aren't quick enough to guard somebody on the outside, so that has always prevented the true switch. And when they have switched, Kevin made this point in the last segment, they are very prone to get into foul trouble. Omari, he was athletic enough at times to do it. You see him now in the NBA and being a guy that can play that multiple position, can pop out and shoot the three. So he can play at the perimeter side on offense. On defense, his issue was communication and switching. And so he had similar struggles. So as great as Villanova has been winning national championships, the bugaboo has always been the high ball screen. And I think it's going to continue on Saturday. So Howard, let's run some play designs here. Marcus Howard has the basketball here for Marquette. 
And Theo John is the big for Marquette. At six foot nine, he's going to come up here and deliver a screen. So now John up here delivering a screen. For Villanova, it's Phil Booth. Booth is covering right here. Now Howard's going to come off this screen. Here comes Demir Cosby Roundtree for the Wildcats, ready to pick him up. This is called a hedge and recover. When Demir Cosby Roundtree tries to force Howard this way rather than allowing him to turn a corner and go to the hoop. So that's Roundtree's job is to push him out this way as Phil Booth fights around this screen and is able to recover on Howard. But the problem with all this is that now Theo John, let's clean this up a little bit, right? So we started with Howard here, Booth here, John down here, and Cosby Roundtree. Now John's up here giving this screen. Roundtree is up here, and Howard's over this way with Booth recovering. So now John is here all alone as Booth is coming over here and Roundtree is over here as well. So now Roundtree either has to recover in here or you need help from a Joe Cremo or a Sadiq Bay to prevent any cut to the hole. The good thing about Marquette is that John doesn't have the ability to shoot the three-point shot. So you're not going to pick and then pop. You're going to pick and then slip, and you need one of these guys to be able to recover as it's Demir Cosby Roundtree getting back into the play. That's what happens when Demir Cosby Roundtree's on the floor. The issue, though, is that Howard is so good, he can launch a shot out of nowhere. John's pretty athletic. He can get to the hole. And then if Sadiq Bey crashes from over here, well, now all of a sudden you have Anim. If somebody crashes from this side, you have Hauser. And Marquette can space the floor so well, these guys can fire it over the top and hit the three. They can beat you in so many ways. It's a great, great offense that's beaten very good defenses and Villanova's defense who hasn't been as successful against the peck and roll may struggle let's replace Demir Cosby Rantry he's over here on the bench and on in his place comes Jermaine Samuels right Samuels has a different type of aspect that he brings to the game Samuels is down here for Villanova he's guarding John let's run the same set Howard up here at the top guarded by Phil Booth here comes John to set the screen. Jermaine Samuels, instead of, as Howard comes around here, instead of hedging and recovering, just comes right here. And it's going to be an immediate switch. Booth. So now Howard, after that screen, is right here. Jermaine Samuels is also right here on the wing. Now Booth is guarding John, and John's going to slip to the hole. Booth is likely going to front him because if Booth is back here, all of a sudden John, a couple power dribbles, gets into position and a little curl to the hoop. So Booth has to now front John and say to Howard, you want to throw it over the top? That's the only way you're going to get it to John. That's where Sadiq Bey over here can come in and intercept the pass, anything that has a little bit too much air. This is actually a defensive set that I think can work a little bit better and why Villanova has gone with smaller lineups at times this year because of Cosby Roundtree struggles defensively. The issue, though, we're going to take everybody off the floor and just evaluate what we just created. So after Samuel switches from John to Howard and Booth from Howard to John, now what you have is Marcus Howard out here on the wing against Jermaine Samuels. Isolate that matchup. Who do you like? 
I like Marcus Howard. And so that's going to be a struggle for Villanova. I think they need to change up, throw different looks at him. Perhaps there's a zone look that you throw out there as well. Something like Booth, Colin Gillespie. Uh, let's throw Samuels out here because I like his ability and his length. Sadiq Bey is also very good this way. And uh, oh, who would that put in the middle? Let's just say Demir Cosby Roundtree. Honestly, I don't see this lineup really happening too, too often. Uh, you know what? You know who I didn't put? is Pascal. So... Let's go with Pascal right in the middle. Samuels now, if if Howard's up here and they still try to run, because you can absolutely run high ball screen out of a uh, against a zone defense. So John plants himself right here, and as Booth comes into guard, Howard's going to come this way, forces Samuels to come up, but only for a hedge. As then Booth comes right back into the play, and Howard and Samuels scoots to the corner. But again, they spaced it so well with a neem out here and uh, and Hauser out here that any type of movement this way and Villanova having to communicate between the upper prong and then the baseline exterior defender is going to create potential problems on the wing and in the corner. So Marquette is going to be a struggle for Villanova to play against from a defensive perspective. They challenge you in so many ways. The answer is that you need to contain Marquette and throw a ton of different looks at them over the course of the game. Some of that's going to be man-to-man with Demir Cosby, Roundtree, hedging and recovering. Some of that's going to be pure switching. Jermaine Samuels, Sadiq Bey, guys that can be better in that situation if they are forced to guard Marcus Howard for five to, you know, five to seven seconds. And then zone. I wouldn't be surprised to see Villanova go with some zone as well. The more they change up those looks coming out of timeouts, I think the more successful they can be defensively against Marquette. So that's our V's and O's segment here tonight. We'll take you back to the studio. Bob Long, Kevin McClernand. We're going to talk more about Villanova heading into this big week. We'll have our picks, and we'll have a little bit of trivia as well before we get out of here. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin McClernand is down in Baltimore, Maryland. Start with you, Kevin. What'd you think of the uh, V's and O's? Any, I guess, any thoughts on, on what you heard there, and uh, and any thoughts on how Villanova is going to be able to go and attack Marquette? Yeah, no, I, I thought you explained it great. How they're going to have to do that and d- defend those pick and rolls, and uh, I mean, it's going to be tough, like you said, and. Um, you put some interesting matchups on there uh, and lineups for Villanova um, that we'll see if, if they're able to handle that uh, Marquette pick and roll. Yeah, I like what you said about Sadiq Bay as well. I kind of threw Samuels in that rotation in terms of the guy that we'll sometimes have to pick up only because um, I see him guarding a guy like John perhaps a little bit more. But again, we saw Sadiq Bay have to go up against Martin Crumple for Creighton in the past. I think actually Wednesday will give us a good sense who they're going to put up against a, a Crumple in matchups like that because there, there are absolutely similarities between the way Creighton plays and the way Marquette plays. So I do think it'll be a little bit telling and uh, a good game to watch for Villanova fans, well, because Creighton's a great team anyways, but a little bit of a look-see into what Marquette might bring. But also want to now introduce Kevin Long, who is on with the, on with us on the phone, couldn't be with us here. But uh, excited to have him. And Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing here today? 
not being able to make it to the studio tonight. Uh, I'm excited to provide a little bit of insight from afar here, uh, calling in. Uh, love being a part of the show, so I uh, had to have my voice heard here. There you go. Good stuff. Well, wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, I guess, anything that, that, that occurred in the week that was. What, uh, what struck your fancy? Yeah, so I think the one thing that really uh, struck my fancy, as you say, is the way that Colin Gillespie stepped up in Sunday's game against Georgetown when Phil Booth really was not himself. We've talked before in the Vizanos segment about how Phil Booth playing on the ball has been better for Villanova. It's been, they've been able to create shots earlier and create better shots for themselves uh, because uh, really, you know, Phil's the guy handling the ball and taking a lot of the shots, and he's just creating more offense. He's not as timid as Colin Gillespie, but it seems like Gillespie is starting to emerge in this new role, uh, you know, playing mostly two guard, but also starting to see some more time on the ball. And uh, we've talked about it before, how Phil Booth is going to win and lose some games for you. He is a heck of a player, but, you know, there are going to be times where he goes cold and Colin Gillespie really stepped up in that game on Sunday. So really encouraging to see that from him. Um, the other player I wanted to talk about this week was Sadiq Bay. Uh, so he really uh, stepped up in the DePaul game, really had a nice game. Did not see as much from him uh, in the Georgetown game, but uh, I'm excited to see him continue to develop and have games like that. Uh, I just think you're going to see that from this team every game. There's going to be one role player that shows you a little bit that you weren't necessarily expecting. And that's what this team is really going to need moving forward uh, in order to, to keep, uh, you know, keep their winning ways. Um, Jermaine Samuels, I'm sure you touched on all in the V's and O's. Uh, he, he's been playing some good defense. He's grabbing some boards, which has been great for this team. Uh, just not sure where the offense has gone in the past couple of weeks. So I'm curious to see uh why and, and where this has gone for him since that great Temple effort that he had back in December. Yeah, we surmise that there could be a, a full red light or could be some sort of injury because it just doesn't look normal. The one thing he's not doing is catching to shoot, and that's something that Jay talks about with his guys all the time. Catching to shoot, shoot him up, sleep in the streets. Uh, that's the, been the mantra of the team. Frankly, that was the mantra of Jermaine Samuels. I mean, he, there were times he was taking ill-advised shots, shots I didn't want him to take. But he was taking him nonetheless. Now he's not even looking at the rim when he catches the ball. But uh, uh, I don't know if you had any last thoughts before we get to the final proceedings of the evening, Kev. Yeah, so I guess I would relate this to the way Eric Pascal looked um, back in his sophomore, you know, redshirt sophomore season uh, with the Wildcats. He he tended to catch the ball and wanted to go up and shoot for a while. And he, he was not the three-point shooter that he is today. You could tell that Jay Wright was telling him, go to the basket. That's your strength. Now, I think Eric is clearly a much better driver than Jermaine Samuels. Jermaine is not necessarily looking to drive the ball at this time. So a little bit of a different scenario. But I, I could see this being a situation where Jay is saying, okay, Jermaine, I need you to figure out these parts of your game. You have the shot. I, I need you to, to be able to you know, facilitate the ball. I need you to play defense. I need you to grab some rebounds. Eventually, you're going to be one of our go-to guys, but I just don't need you in that role right now for this season. So, uh, you know, maybe it's an injury. Maybe you're right. Uh, or maybe this is just uh, Jay Wright giving him a little bit of a different directive right now. All right. Let's now go to Kevin McClernand, who is going to give us 
uh, thoughts on, uh, I guess, he's going to give us games or he's going to give us trivia. So I'll let you start in whatever order you'd like. Well, we'll, we'll stick with trivia for now because uh, they're both uh, on the games this week. And uh, we'll start with Creighton. Uh, when is the last time that Creighton made the Final Four? When is the last time that Creighton made the Final Four? Wow. Uh, I have no idea. When Kyle Korver was playing, I'm going to say like the 90s, 90s. Oh, God. I don't know. No idea, actually, because I don't think they did it back then. The 80s sometime. Uh, the 70s. Well, I have no idea. Kev, do you have a thought? Uh, Kevin Long? Uh, I'll I'll throw in a guess. I'll say uh, 1982. Well, it was, it was a trick question because they've never made the Final Four. Okay. So. <laughs> See, I think I was going to get there eventually when I went 80s. No, no, not the 70s. No, no, 60s. Yeah. Okay. Trick question. Uh, he didn't go to college, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the old well, school uh, uh, Chris and, and Chris Brangley and Kevin McLernan, Philly's <laughs> finest commercial. They're great times for the old school Bob Long sports fans there. And then we'll go to Marquette. Now, this isn't a trick question. They have made the Final Four. And uh, when was the last time Marquette made the Final Four? When was the last time Marquette made the Final Four is the question, Kevin Long. 2003. 2003 is, I would guess, is correct. The yeah, Wade, Wade, the, Wade. The only time they made, and that, that's correct. Uh, and Steve lost Green, to, or Tom Crean, the coach back then. Yes, lo- Tom Crean, and they lost uh, to Syracuse. Is that correct? Oh, I don't know. It, sure. it would have been Syracuse or Kansas, but I think they yeah. lost to Syracuse. Um, and then the final trivia is, who is Marquette's all-time leading scorer? Who is Marquette's all-time leading scorer? Dwayne Wade is number 29 on the list, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he left early. Um, it's junior year, though. Yep, yep. Hmm. Who is Marquette's all-time leading scorer? Would that be – I guess I'll ask for a hint. Is it in any way um, recent? Um. Yeah, recent. Not like in the within the last couple of years. Lazar Hayward is second on the list. Oh, he did not pass this guy. No. If that's what you're talking about, yeah. You, how'd you know? How'd you know that's I, who I was going for? That's, I assumed. Lazar. All right. Well, I'm just going to say I'm wrong because that was going to be my guess. Kevin Long. Uh, not within the past couple of years. Hmm. Oh wait a second! Yeah, I might I actually might have somebody, but go I ahead. think I'm gonna go with Jimmy Butler. No, that's incorrect. Jimmy transferred there too, believe. So I don't think he played all four yeah. years at uh, Marquette. Um. Yeah. What about um? Gosh, what was that guy's name? Not McCants. Um. No, not McCants. But it was the guy number twenty-two. He played on the team. With uh, Wesley Matthews and uh, and Dominique uh, James James Dominic yep. James, excuse me. Oh my goodness! Yep, you got him. I got him. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, um, no, don't do this. It's bad radio, <laughs> bad TV. Tell me the answer. I hate myself. It's Jarrell McNeil. Jarrell McNeil. Jarrell McNeil. Yep. 
Yeah, Hayward uh, just came up short of him a couple years ago. So okay, and that's all for trivia. So let's move on to the pick'em games. All right, uh, we we have two Tuesday games, which they are the uh, non-Kevin McLaren lines. We'll call them the, the real lines. <laughs> uh, St. John's is six and a half point dogs at Marquette. All right, St. John's six and a half point dogs at Marquette. I like the Marquette Golden Eagles in that one. Um, I think they are a very good basketball team. Obviously, St. John's a little bit on the fritz, although if there is a team that could come in and win that game, uh, it would be the Johnnies. But that line tells me Fiserv Forum is a, a big factor. Johnny's not as good on the road. I like Marquette. Is it to me? It is um, to you now, Kev, yeah. So I wasn't sure if Kevin was talking there. Um, I'll take the Johnnies. Uh, I think they're a scrappy bunch. I think they're really going to come to play. Uh, you know, Shamori Pons is obviously going to keep them in any game that they're in. Uh, six and a half points to Marquette, obviously a very good team. But uh, give me the Johnnies to cover. All right, Johnnies to cover. And I'm going to agree. We talked about St. John's needs, needs a big-time win, and I, I think – uh, not that Marquette's going to look towards the Villanova game, but maybe they might have something else on their mind that Marquette uh, St. John's will be able to cover that, uh, if not get get their big-time win. Uh, the second Tuesday game is Kansas State hosts Kansas, and they are one-point favorites. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Kansas State hosts Kansas and is a one-point favorite. Wow. Uh, Vegas would tell me to take Kansas State, but I just can't do it. Uh, obviously, there's some turmoil with Kansas in terms of Azabuki being out, D'Souza, uh being ineligible. I still think I like uh, – I am still going to go with Kansas to win that basketball game and, uh, and cover the spread. Oop, cover the spread. Having some trouble with the phone here, so I apologize for Kevin Long's sake. I'm hoping that this improves here slightly. Don't know why that is. Uh, hmm. Let's try this again. Kevin, you still there? Yeah, can you hear me, Bob? All right, my bad on that. But, uh, yeah, so oh. I pick Kansas plus one. Yeah, I heard, heard everything. Um, I agree with you. I'm going to pick. Kansas as well. I think they'll win this one outright. Something tells me that the uh, you know ruling of D'Souza ineligible, regardless of whether or not he's played this year, is going to inspire this Kansas team. Obviously, they're hurting without Azubuki as well for the year. Um, I, you know, I don't really see Kansas State as a team that's uh, should be favored against Kansas, um, and I think they're going to be playing some inspired basketball. So, give me the Jayhawks. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I, I was a little confused uh, that Kansas State was favored in the game, so uh, I'm rolling with Kansas. Um, also, yeah, I, I, I want to disagree, but I just can't on that. Uh, then we have two Saturday games. Florida State hosts Louisville, and uh, these are my uh, these are my numbers now. So I'm picking, or I'm saying uh, the 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 Seminoles are three and a half point favorites. I like uh, Louisville outright. So the Seminoles, three-and-a-half-point favorites. I think Louisville will not only cover that line, but Chris Mack will go into Tallahassee and win that basketball game. Uh, Bob, I have to agree with you on that one. Uh, 
you know, this Louisville team has been up and down, um, but I, I like them over Florida State in this one as well uh, to cover and win outright. All right, I get to argue then. I'm taking the Seminoles. Um, I think this, the, the home advantage, and I, I think Louisville's playing right now against Virginia Tech. I'm not sure what the score is, but um, it's, it's two tough games. I mean, all ACC, especially this time of year, all, all of them are tough games, but um, I, th- I think Florida State's going to win that game. Kevin, am I, fi- am, I, am I wrong to just not really trust that Florida State team yet? Am I crazy? That's kind of where I'm coming from. Is I, I never s- trust any Florida State teams. <laughs> yeah, I still don't trust them to score consistently enough. I think they can defend at a high level, and I think when they do score, they can do very well, a la you know, a trip to the uh, final, final four last year, wasn't it? No, 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 Elite Eight. I'm sorry, Elite. to the Elite Eight, and they lost to Michigan. Um, but uh, – I just don't, I you know, I don't trust did them. So did they lose to Michigan or did they lose to Loyola? I thought, or no, maybe uh, Kansas getting... State. I believe is the one. Yeah, that... that's right. Okay, yeah, too many nine seeds that went that far that I'm getting confused. That's right. <laughs> um, and then our final game is you got to go Duke at Virginia. I'm going to give Virginia two two and a half point favorites, or no, actually one and a half. We'll say one and a half. Boy, that's a great game, Duke at Virginia. First game, Duke won by two points. Kevin's going Virginia minus one and a half uh, for the line. I still think Duke's going to win the game. So I go Duke. I just think they're a little bit better than this uh, Virginia team, and I think they're going to win the basketball game outright, even though it is on the road uh, at Virginia. Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to – pick uh against duke in any game let alone giving them points uh you know virginia is obviously a very talented defensive team i'm not sure if they have the offense to keep up with duke so uh given the points yeah i think duke will win this game outright actually i i'm conflicted because i mean a lot of these freshmen go into virginia hostile environment uh trey jones still not 100 sure if he's 100 um but I'm going to go UVA. I mean, you guys both go on Duke, I'll go against it. Okay, he goes UVA. The really popular thing to say, the I'm a smart guy thing to say by the pundits, is that Virginia's offense isn't your grandfather's Virginia offense. And forget UMBC, this is a team that can really score this year. And by the way, I'm not forgetting UMBC. This is a team that struggled to score over the last few years, but their defense is so dominant. Listen, they have some solid players. Certainly Kyle Guy has the chance to light it up. But there are also still times where this offense struggles to have off-ball movement, they struggle to get high-low action, and they struggle to score consistently. They'll go a four minutes in between timeouts without scoring. It was like 7 nothing. They led Clemson with like 10 minutes left in the first half. Don't tell me this isn't your grandfather's Virginia team. Perhaps at times they are more efficient, and I bet they are overall. But they can hit a snag when they play really athletic teams that's willing to guard them at the perimeter and is able to stay with Ty Jerome off the dribble. You know, if you can guard DeAndre Hunter, you've taken away most of the athletic matchup. Jack Salt is just okay and is a you know situational big. Uh, Kyle Guy is a guy that can fire it up from anywhere and can hit. But if he goes cold, Ty Jerome is not winning a game for you on his own. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is a very talented player, but 
I haven't seen him be the guy to score 20, 25 points a game, obviously. I, I am not convinced that this isn't your grandfather's Virginia team yet. Then again, I'd probably pick him to go to the Final Four if I could right now. So talking out of both sides of my mouth. But I just laugh because there are so many so-called experts out there that feel the need, I think at times, to say something unique and non-generic. So what they say is what's become very generic, every pundit saying that this isn't your grandfather's UVA team. It's a little bit of a rant, but it's what I got. Yep, and ne- next uh, week in ours, it won't be your, your grandfather's show because I'll actually have the standings for our season uh, in, in these picks. So awesome. look forward to that. You the man. I appreciate it. Kevin Long, thanks for spending a couple minutes on the phone with us. Absolutely, Bob. I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Kevin McLernan, thanks for being with us as always. Great job. Yeah, it was a great job. Looking forward to seeing this team in action this week. Yeah, it's a big week for these Villanova Wildcats. Wednesday at home against Creighton and then on the road Saturday at Marquette. As big a week as they've had all year. So excited to watch it with all you and then react next week. So for our good friends, Kevin Long, Kevin McClernand, I am Bob Long from the set here in Bluebell saying so long and we'll be back next week to talk more Villanova basketball here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Good night, everybody.